Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Back in 2007, the Washington Post wrote an article about an experiment that they had performed in the metro station during people's morning commute. Okay, and there in the station, there was a young man named Joshua Bell who positioned himself against the wall next to a trash can, and and he wore jeans, he had a long sleeve t-shirt on, wore a baseball cap, just kind of tried to blend in, but but then what happened was he he took out of this this small case a violin, he he placed the case down in front of him, kind of opened up so that people could drop some money in if they appreciated his music, and then he just started to play this violin. And for people in the D.C. metro station, this was a familiar sight to them, okay? It's pretty familiar to see a musician trying to earn a few extra bucks and playing some music for people during their morning commute. And so because it was familiar to to them, he largely went unnoticed. And so for the next hour, this guy played and the, played the violin for over an hour and, and over like a thousand people in that time had passed by him and really not even noticed, not even paid attention to this guy playing the violin. It was so familiar. They were just so used to seeing someone out there playing music. And so in the time that he played, only 27 people stopped just briefly to hear what he was playing, and he only earned uh, you know, a whopping $32 in that case that he had laying there, which isn't, isn't too shabby, isn't too bad, but he earned $32. You see, a musician in the metro station playing music, it was an all-too-familiar sight for these morning commuters. They quickly dismissed him without really listening to what he was playing. Because you see, if they would have stopped to listen, if they wouldn't have dismissed the familiarity of the situation, if they would have stopped to actually observe the greatness of this musician, they would have noticed that this was actually a world-renowned violinist playing. You see, Joshua Bell, three days earlier, had sold out the Boston Symphony Hall where tickets had gone for well over $100, people trying to get in to hear him play. And if the commuters would have stopped, they also would have noticed that he wasn't just playing any violin. The violin he was playing, it says, was worth over $3 million. A $3 million violin. Can you imagine what that would look like? I mean, there had to be some bells and whistles or something on that to make it worth $3 million, but it was a rare violin being played by a world-renowned violinist And he largely went unnoticed. A guy who had sold out a symphony hall made $32 as commuters passed by. If they would have stopped following their familiar morning commute long enough, they would have been able to behold the greatness that was before them. A $3 million violin being played by a world-renowned violinist who people longed to hear and bought tickets to see. All of that was being offered to them for free. It was being offered to them for free. But a musician in the metro station was too familiar. They quickly dismissed him, and they missed out on the beauty and the glory that was being offered to them for free. If only they would have stopped and really listened to who this was and what he was playing. And church, we arrive at a point in the book of Mark where Jesus goes back to his hometown. His hometown. He goes back to people who are familiar with him. 
okay? And really, we're going to see people that are dangerously familiar with him. And church, this passage is very applicable to us as well, especially in our culture, because you see, we live in a culture where many people are familiar with Jesus, they are. Now, now, certainly there's a growing number of people that when you say Jesus, they think you're saying a curse word, right? There's a, a growing amount of people that maybe have never heard the name of Jesus. But I would say still in our culture, most of our culture is familiar with Jesus. The Barna Group did some research in 2015 where they asked questions about, uh, really the question they asked was, what do Americans believe about Jesus? What they found was that 92% of Americans believed that Jesus was a real person, okay? 92% believed, yes, he was a real per person. He historically lived and, and walked on the earth. They believe all that. About 50% of Americans believe that Jesus is God, which depending on, on your age, if you're older or younger, you might think that's really high or that's really low. I was actually surprised it was that high, that 50% of Americans believe that Jesus is God. The other 25% believe he was just another spiritual leader and teacher, and the other 25% really aren't sure, okay? 62% say that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus at some point in their lives which is interesting that that statistic, 62%, is higher than the amount of people that believe Jesus is God, which I don't know exactly what that is saying. I'm not sure why you'd commit to someone you don't believe is God, but anyway, all right, still half of our population believe that Jesus is God. But we see, even amongst that population of people, of people that believe Jesus is God, and then including people that don't believe Jesus is God, there's this widespread cultural just familiarity with Jesus. And when you are familiar with Jesus, you start to take this cafeteria-style approach to what you believe about Jesus. And people kind of pick and choose the things they like about Jesus, but then disregard the things that rub them the wrong way. And so we have people just believing what they want to believe about Jesus, picking and choosing different stories about him or different things that he taught, and then disregarding and throwing out the things they don't like. They are familiar with him. Many are familiar with Jesus. They're familiar with the Christmas story. They're familiar with the Easter story, right? But they want to pick and choose what they like about him and what they want to believe about him. And church, my point is, is that we live in a culture that, that for us to say Jesus is the Savior of the world, that doesn't, that doesn't always turn too many heads. That doesn't, you know, grab any headlines. That doesn't shock too many people when you say that. Certainly, yes, still some are, are shocked or haven't heard that. But, but, but it doesn't turn, you know, you know, it doesn't grab too much attention to say that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior at, of the world because you see, at the very least, we are familiar with him. There is still a decent amount of people that believe he's God. They've made a commitment to him at some point. And yet, and yet you look around and it becomes obvious that while as a culture we might be familiar with Jesus, it doesn't seem that we are following Jesus. It, it might appear that we are familiar with Jesus, but it is obvious that we are not following Jesus. Jesus has become too familiar to follow. People hear the name Jesus. They hear about grace. They hear about love and forgiveness. And they think, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Oh yeah, I heard that growing up in church. Oh yeah, I heard that at the VBS. I'm familiar with Jesus. And he easily gets dismissed like a musician in a metro station. It's familiar. 
And so we often don't stop and actually hear. We often don't stop and actually see the joy and the hope and the life that are found in following Jesus. And what we are going to see is that it is extremely dangerous to just be familiar with Jesus and not to actually follow Jesus. It is extremely dangerous to just be familiar with him and yet to not actually follow him. It is. It is dangerous, okay? To sit year after year and Christmas after Christmas and Easter after Easter and to just be familiar with him without actually following him, it is dangerous because, because by just being familiar with him, Without putting your faith in him, what you are actually doing, whether you realize it or not, is you are cultivating unbelief in your heart. It calluses, it hardens your heart. And I'll explain more as we go through the sermon, but to just be familiar with him without actually putting your faith in him, you are cultivating unbelief in your heart. You would think that Jesus would be the hometown hero of Nazareth, right? I mean, they knew him the best, that Bethlehem got to brag, they were the birthplace of Jesus, but Nazareth, I mean, this, you know, that's where Jesus grew up, right? There weren't too many other celebrities coming out of Jesus, but we've seen through the book of Mark that, that Jesus has a big following, crowds are following him, he's become a celebrity. I mean, he should be the, the Nazareth hometown hero, but as we look at Nazareth, it will bring up this question to the surface that we need to deal with this morning and some of you need to deal with this morning. And it's this, are you just familiar with Jesus or are you following Jesus? Are you just familiar with Jesus or are you following Jesus? When we are just familiar with Jesus, our lives will often be defined and directed by unbelief. But when we are following Jesus, our lives will often be defined and directed by faith. By just being familiar with him without putting your faith in him, you are in danger of cultivating a heart of unbelief. And so this is the question that as a Bible Belt Church people, we need to ask ourselves, are we just familiar with him or are we following him? Are we following? Look now at Mark 6, verse 1. Mark 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You remember, Jesus and his disciples, they'd been around the Sea of Galilee. He had, he had already demonstrated his power and authority over the wind and the waves, right? He calmed the storm out on the Sea of Galilee. He then demonstrated his power and authority over evil by, by casting out a legion of demons from a man who, who was possessed and people had given up hope on. He had demonstrated his power and authority over disease and death by healing a woman who had been sick for 12 years and by raising up a 12-year-old girl to life. And now he heads back home to Nazareth, and his disciples follow him. Now, Nazareth is a small little village, okay? It's about 25 miles southwest 
of the Sea of Galilee. And so it's a little bit of a journey from where they're at to now going back to, the, to Nazareth. And the population of Nazareth in the time that, of Jesus, is, it's estimated to be about 200 to 500 people. So that's a small town. That's a small town. And I'm sure, you know, as him and his disciples were traveling there, you could cue some, some John Mellencamp, right, small town, right? Jesus grew up in a small town. He's going back home to a small town. He'd been around the crowds. He'd grown in popularity. He's sort of become this celebrity of that time. And now he's going back to his small town where he grew up. And when you grow up in a small town of 200 to 500 people, you can expect that you have gotten to know everyone, right? Families know families. Everyone knows everyone. And so Jesus is very familiar with the people in this town. Many are his family, and they are very familiar with him. And Jesus did typically what he does on the Sabbath. He went into the synagogue to teach the word. And the synagogue, you remember, is their gathering places where they would read God's word and hear God's word taught. And they, when he started to teach, they were astonished by his teaching. They were surprised. They were taken off guard because they, 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 they knew where Jesus came from, right? He comes from a small town. He comes from here. They know that he has humble beginnings. They know that he was trained as a carpenter. He was, you know, blue collar. He didn't have a fancy education. He didn't study under the most, you know, elite rabbis of the day. And yet, yet he taught in such a way that surprised them. He taught with authority. He taught with understanding. He taught in a way that explained the scriptures like no one else could have explained them. No, no one else had, had heard this kind of teaching before. And there's no doubt that they had heard some of this teaching but, but from, from what he'd been doing in the sea, around the Sea of Galilee. This wasn't new, new to them that he is teaching in this way. Word had spread around that he was performing miracles, that he was teaching like no one else had taught. Because you remember earlier in Mark, even his family comes to go get him. They think he's out of his mind. Like, Jesus, what, what is going on? And even now, back in his hometown of Nazareth, Nazareth excuse me, his brothers and his sisters, they don't believe. They don't believe. In spite of probably hearing stories from their parents about how angels showed up to announce Jesus' birth, right? I'm sure Mary and Joseph taught their kids sort of some of the events surrounding Jesus' birth. This was a, a special birth, right? Even, even though they heard those stories that Jesus would be the, the savior of their people, even knowing that, many of his family members and brothers and sisters did not believe. Now, they eventually would after the resurrection. We see many of them be followers and disciples of him when he is raised from the dead. But this wasn't the first time they had witnessed Jesus' teaching or heard about his miracles or seen the works that he had done. But when he taught in the synagogue on that Sabbath day, they were astonished. They were surprised. And we see that they do not respond with faith. They do not respond with a desire to follow after him. No, we see just, just being familiar with him, right? Just being familiar with him without putting faith in him, it actually cultivates unbelief in their hearts. It calluses, it hardens their hearts. Why is this? Why is this? Because God's word will always produce an effect. It will. When the, when the word of God goes forth, where the word of God is read and taught and proclaimed, 
where it is heard, it will produce an effect. God's word is not like any other book or text that you will read, okay? When God speaks, it's unlike when anyone else speaks. I could speak all day and nothing happen, right? But when God speaks, something always happens. There is always an effect when God speaks. These are not merely words on a page providing us information or telling us a story. No, we know that God's word, we know that Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. We know Jeremiah 23.29 says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Fire and hammer always produce an effect, okay? God's word in the same way produces an effect in the world and in his creation. So listen, this is why this truth is is important this morning, okay? This is why you need to know this, that God's word going forth, it always produces an effect. Something happens when God speaks. You need to understand this because, because it is really dangerous to just read your Bible, Now think about that. I know that might sound weird. That might rub you the wrong way. Maybe some of you, like there's not a warning label on your Bible saying this is dangerous to just read it. But what I'm trying to say is that it is dangerous to just read your Bible because the word of God demands a response. It produces an effect. And if it's not received and obeyed through faith, What is happening is you are in danger of actually cultivating unbelief in your heart. There's there's no neutral responses to God's word. I know some days maybe hearing a sermon or reading your Bible, you might feel complacent. You might feel sort of neutral about it. But listen, there is no neutral response to God's word. If you are not receiving it, if you are not obeying it, in essence, you are rejecting it. If it's not softening your heart, it's hardening it. And so your Bible should not just be read. It should be interacted with. Okay, when you read your Bible, you should not just read it in a way to just read it, but it should be interacted with. And so let me explain. So when you are reading your Bible and you read something that declares who God is, we should respond in praise and thanksgiving. You read something about God that's glorious and true. You, man, you should respond like, praise, thank you, God, for that. I praise you for that. When we read something that God commands, we should respond in obedience, right? We don't just read it. We read it and respond to it. Yes, Lord, help me obey this. Help me obey what you command. God, I fall short of this so often, but but empower me, God. Thank you for Jesus. Empower me to obey this command that you've given. When we read something that God promises, we should respond in trust and faith. Yes, Lord, please help me trust and believe in this promise. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to rest and trust in this promise that I just read. Your Bible should not just be read. It should be interacted with. It's also dangerous to come and to just listen to a sermon. 
And not just because the jokes might be corny or the preacher might be long-winded, okay? But it is dangerous to come and just listen to a sermon. It is. Because when God's word is proclaimed, it will produce an effect on your heart. And if it's not being received, if it's not being obeyed, if it's not being welcomed in by faith, you are instead, whether you realize it or not, you are cultivating unbelief in your heart. When we hear God's word rebuked or correct us, we, we, we must respond and repent and turn and, and, and follow after him. When we hear God's word warn us about certain dangers, like we need to, to respond and, and take heed of those warnings and, and steer clear from what God is, is warning us to stay away from. When we hear God's word expose false teaching, we must receive it and guard our hearts and minds from the lies of the enemy. You can't just come and just listen to a sermon. It must be interacted with on, at a heart level, okay? And this is also why I love when you can give me a little bit of feedback, too, when I preach, okay? Whatever you're comfortable with, whether it's an amen or a mm-hmm or just like a little head nod, right? I know some of you, it's, it's a big step of faith just to, just to give a little, little nod of the head to let, you, let me know that you're with me, right? But listen, the reason I like some of the interaction and the giving back is because this is not just a speech. This is not just a lecture. This is not a class, right? This isn't a Bible study. I'm not just a communicator. This is a sermon, and I am a preacher, meaning I am proclaiming to you God's word. And yes, we are to listen, but it is to be received, and it is to be responded to. Hey, there you go. Look at you guys. I don't know. I don't know, guys. I, we'll, we'll see in a couple weeks, all right? But I'm impressed. But listen, I mean, even if it's not a verbal response right away, which I love that, but when we hear a sermon, it is dangerous to just listen to it. Our lives must respond to God's word that has been proclaimed over us. And when we leave here, we must take heed of it, obey it, love it, learn from it. If you live your whole life just listening to sermons, and never responding to sermons, you are in danger of becoming like the people of Nazareth. You're in danger of making Jesus too familiar to follow. You, like you know all the lingo, you know all the stories, but you've never actually responded to the word of God in your life. This is the danger of growing up a church kid, right? I, I grew up a church kid. I definitely feel for those that, that grew up church kids. There's a lot of good things and a lot of grace that we experience growing up as church kids. But this is the dangerous part about growing up a church kid. You know all the stories. You know the right answer. If you don't know the answer, you know you say Jesus, and that's always the right answer. No one can argue with that, right? Like, you know all the answers. You know all the stories, and yet... If you have not responded by faith to God's word in your life, if we teach our kids all the stories and yet don't help them understand how to deal with their sin, how to repent and turn from it, how to trust Christ's work on their behalf, and if we don't ever call them to respond to what God's word says, they are in danger of cultivating hearts of unbelief because they're familiar with Jesus. 
They've just never actually followed him. But church, when God's word is interacted with, that is when we start to understand what it is talking about when it says that it is living and active. I know you've probably heard that verse a lot, but if you're just familiar with Jesus, it probably doesn't really make a lot of sense to you until you start actually following Jesus and interacting and responding to what he says. Then you will appreciate that it is living and active. That's when you're going to start to understand and appreciate why Jeremiah can call, it, call the word of God like fire and like a hammer, right? When we hear God's word speak truth and light into our hearts, we must receive it. We must receive it. We must respond to it. And the people of Nazareth, look, they have an amazing opportunity here. They have the word of God who put on flesh teaching them the word of God. I mean, this is even better than a $3 million violin being played by a world-renowned violinist, okay? The people of Nazareth here have an amazing opportunity. They have an opportunity to respond in faith and follow Jesus, but instead, they respond in unbelief. And I know many of you, you know and understand how powerful faith is. Jesus said, if we have the faith of a mustard seed, right, nothing is impossible for us, right? If we have faith, right, we can move mountains, right? Faith is powerful. But listen, unbelief is powerful too. Unbelief is powerful too. It was Adam and Eve's unbelief that brought a curse on all of creation. It was unbelief that, that caused great evil and rebellion to spread across the world that God had to send a great flood and chose to save Noah and one his family. And it is unbelief that causes people to love their sin more than God. And it, it is because of unbelief that the wrath of God is, is being poured out. And it is, it is in their unbelief, these people in Nazareth who, who saw Jesus grow up, they saw him grow up and live a sinless life. I mean, even if they aren't impressed that he could raise someone back to life, they would have to be impressed of a child growing up never disobeying their parents, right? I mean, you would think that would stand out. Calming the wind and the waves, I mean, that's okay. A two- or three-year-old never disobeying, that's, that's something, right? That should get your attention a little bit. And they have an opportunity to respond in faith, but instead they respond in unbelief. And they start questioning, which look at their questions. First questions they ask is, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? Right? They, they can't deny that he is teaching in a special way. They, they haven't heard teaching like this before. He's teaching with authority. He's explaining things the way they've never heard him explain before. They, they know that his teaching is something special. They can't deny that, but in their unbelief, they ignore the obvious. They ignore the obvious. In our unbelief, we often ignore the obvious, okay? The obvious answer is this teaching is from God. The obvious answer is, at the very least, this is, this is of the Lord. I mean, a carpenter from Nazareth who, as a child, can teach circles around all the most educated rabbis of the day, this has to be something special. But in their unbelief, while they are familiar with his teaching, They've forgotten where it obviously comes from. And then they ask another question. How are such mighty works done by his hands? 
right? They're familiar. They're familiar with the miracles he's been performing. They've heard about how he healed Peter's mother-in-law. They've heard about how he cleansed someone from leprosy. They've heard about how he healed a paralyzed man who can now walk. They've heard how he calmed the storm, how he brought a little girl back to life. They've heard these things. They can't deny these things. But they say, how? How has he done this? The obvious answer is that he is God. He's the rescuer, the one they've been waiting for. The paralyzed can walk, the blind can see, the dead are raised to life, the one they have been waiting for. But in their unbelief, they ignore the obvious. And we, say, we see this play out all the time. This is what Romans 1 is talking about when it says in Romans 1, verse 18 and through 22, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, although they were familiar with God, right, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. I mean, hear from those verses, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. What can be known about God is plain to them. It's, it's obvious. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they were familiar with God, right? They were familiar with the concept of God, but they did not honor him as God. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It is dangerous to be familiar with Jesus, but not to follow Jesus because in your unbelief, you suppress the truth and you avoid the obvious. You forget from where his teaching comes from and you forget how he accomplishes his mighty works. So listen, when we are just familiar with Jesus, when we are just familiar with Jesus, our lives will often be defined and directed by unbelief. But when we are following Jesus, our lives will often be defined and directed by faith. Okay, I'll say that again. When we are just familiar with Jesus, our lives will often be defined and directed by unbelief. But when we are following Jesus, our lives will often be defined and directed by faith. For example, let's think about our work, okay? Whether, it's, whether you work outside of the house or you work in the home, everyone has work to do. And how you view your work will look very differently depending on if you are just familiar with Jesus or if you are actually following Jesus, all right? And so let me, let me ask you this question for you to think on and dwell on, okay? Are you by faith following Jesus in your work? Are you by faith following Jesus in your work. Now listen, if you are just familiar with Jesus, that will cultivate unbelief in your heart. You will forget where the idea of work comes from and how your work was designed by God for God's glory, for your good, and for the advancement of his mission. 
But wouldn't it look different if instead of just being familiar with Jesus, if we actually, by faith, followed Jesus into our workplace every day, believing that this is what God has given us and called us to do today, and that we will work in a way that is worshipful to God, and we will work in a way that will bring him glory, that will bring us good, and that will advance his mission. Or what about this? For those of you who are married, your marriage. How you view your marriage will look very differently depending on if you are just familiar with Jesus or if you are actually following Jesus, okay? So let me ask you, think about this. Are you by faith following Jesus in your marriage? Because if you are just familiar with Jesus, that will cultivate unbelief in your heart and you will forget from where the idea of marriage comes from and how your marriage was designed for God's glory and our good and the advancement of his mission. But wouldn't it look different instead of just being familiar with Jesus if we actually by faith follow Jesus in our marriage every day, believing that a man and woman making a covenant with God and with one another to love one another unconditionally, to enter every day and trying to outserve one another and to show grace and forgiveness to one another, all the while believing that God is using our marriage to sanctify us and make us more like him. Wouldn't that be different if we follow Jesus in our marriage and realize that he was using it for his glory, our good, and the advancement of his mission? Or, or what, about, what about finances, okay? How you handle your finances will look very different depending on if you are just familiar with Jesus or if you are actually following Jesus. And so let me ask you this. Are you by faith following Jesus in your finances? If you are just familiar with Jesus, that will cultivate unbelief in your heart and you will forget from where your money ultimately comes from and how your money is actually a tool that is to be stewarded for God's glory, our good, and the advancement of his mission. Now, I realize I'm repeating myself a lot. Hopefully some of it's going to stick, all right? But wouldn't it look different if instead of just being familiar with Jesus, we actually by faith followed Jesus into our finances where we could joyfully and generously steward God's money the way he has intended it to be stewarded so that these resources could be used for God's glory, our good, and the advancement of his mission. Or what about our church? This is our last one, okay? How, how you commit and are involved with our church will look very different depending on if you are just familiar with Jesus or if you are actually following Jesus. And so let me ask you, are you by faith following Jesus in our church? You see, if you are just familiar with Jesus... That will cultivate unbelief in your heart and you will forget where the authority of the church and its leaders actually come from and that how by submitting to it and being involved in the life of the church, that is actually being used for God's glory, your good, and the advancement of his mission. But wouldn't it look different if instead of just being familiar with Jesus, we actually by faith followed Jesus in our church and committed ourselves to a local body of believers under biblical leadership for the purpose of God's glory, our good, and the advancement of his mission. And so here's my ultimate question for you this morning. Are you just familiar with Jesus or are you following Jesus? The people of Nazareth were familiar with him, but in the end they rejected him. Listen to these words from John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, 
And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. The world was familiar with him, but it did not know him. Church, it is dangerous to just know about him and yet to never really know him. He came to his own, his own people, but they did not receive him. Look at their questions. Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? In their unbelief, they're avoiding the obvious, and now they just start to get offended and mean, right? Unbelief causes you to avoid the obvious. It causes you to suppress the truth, and then you will get offended and start verbally attacking, right? Look at Mark 6, uh, back in Mark. We'll finish it up here. Verse 3, it says, Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary. The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us. And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. They are not responding by faith to follow him. No, they're actually offended by him. And they start attacking Jesus, who is the messenger of God's word to them. You know the phrase, don't shoot the messenger? Do you know why that's a phrase? It's because people shoot the messenger, all right? <laughs> Phrases like that don't catch on unless many a messenger have been shot, all right? I mean, God's people all throughout the Old Testament, God had been sending messengers to them. He had been sending the prophets to them, and they rebelled. They rejected them. And they do the same here with Jesus, and eventually they're going to crucify him, kill him on a cross. They're like, isn't this guy just a carpenter? And then they call him the son of Mary, which is a slam that we might not really pick up on because of the cultural context. But usually when someone was described, it would be the son of their father's name, right? It would have been the son of Joseph. But, but by calling him the son of Mary, they're kind of jabbing at the fact that Mary got pregnant before marriage. And I'm guessing some of the Nazareth folk were still a little skeptical about the whole virgin birth thing, right? So they're still kind of working through that. They call him the son of Mary. Like, hey, we don't even really know who your father is. Is. Ironically, they don't know his father. But in their unbelief, they avoid the obvious answers as to where his teaching comes from, how these miracles are performed. Now they are offended by him, and now they will reject him. And Jesus has his disciples there so that they can learn and experience firsthand what they will be faced when they are sent out into the world. 
Because there will be some who hear the gospel and respond by faith and follow after Jesus, but then there will be some who respond in unbelief. And then in their unbelief, they will suppress the truth, they will avoid the obvious, they will eventually get offended, and then they will reject the messenger. And Jesus is getting his disciples ready. He's saying, hey, if they reject me, they're gonna reject you. Verse five, and he, could, he says he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, it's not as if he didn't have the ability to do a mighty work there, but what we see is that it's really getting at God typically doesn't do mighty works where there is no faith. Okay, he showed compassion and mercy on a few people. He healed a few sick people, uh, uh, but typically, and not always, we won't put God in a box here, but typically he doesn't do mighty works where there is no faith. Verse six, and he marveled because of their unbelief. They were astonished at his teaching. He marveled at their unbelief. And church, we too live in a similar cultural situation as these people in Nazareth. Many people are familiar with Jesus, but few are following him. Many people are familiar with God's word, but few are actually receiving it and obeying it. And this familiarity without faith is dangerous. It's dangerous. This familiarity without faith is dangerous because it cultivates in us hearts of unbelief. But the good news is, the good news is there will be those who hear God's word and they respond. There will be those who grow discontent with just being familiar with Jesus and actually desire to know him and follow him. And there will be those who, by God's grace, through faith, will find the answer to creation's groanings and questions in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And there will be those who, by faith, they hear the beautiful music being played by their creator who did not give up on us even when we rejected him. You see, he did not reject us when we rejected him, but he actually entered into creation and willingly allowed himself to be rejected on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God. The answer to the problem of a good creation that has been corrupted by sin is for the good creator to enter into the corrupted creation, to take the sin of the world upon his shoulders so that he might redeem, buy back, and restore his good creation. Church, don't get too familiar with that good news without responding by faith to that good news. Because it is through faith that the Spirit of God applies the work of Christ to us. And now we who have received Christ, who are following Christ, we can now be called children of God. Children who are no longer just familiar with God, but children who are now a part of the family of God. And so are you just familiar with Jesus? Or are you following Jesus? If you've just been familiar with Jesus, if you have just known about Jesus but never put your faith in him, my prayer is that this morning, that today would be the day that you would receive him, that you would respond to him through faith, 
that you would see him for who he truly is, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior of the world. I pray that you wouldn't be like those in that D.C. metro station that just passed by. Oh, Jesus, I've heard about him. I'm familiar with him. I've heard that story before. No, I pray that you would stop and you would think and you would ponder the life and the salvation that Christ offers to you as a free gift. And church, maybe you've been a believer for years and years and years. My prayer is that good news, that Jesus would never just become familiar to you, but that every day you would, by faith, follow after him. Let's pray. Father, we confess that it is far easier to just know about you than to actually know you. We, we confess that we sometimes, God, we, we just want to learn more and more about you and yet never actually respond and, and obey you. And so, God, I ask that you would help us not just be familiar with you, but, God, that we truly, by faith, would follow after you. Stir up our hearts. Awaken us to the beauty and the glory of this good news that you offer life and salvation in Christ's work alone to us. May it never just become familiar. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.